So Jesus is beginning his ministry. He, he has begun to walk through the two or three years that he would preach and teach and love and pray and heal on the way to the um, denouement, if you will, of his ministry um, as he ascends the hill called Calvary. And everything he says and everything he does plays into that. You need to read each story and grasp each story and understand each story for all of the beautiful little nuggets that are in there. And we're just going to do that today. We're going to walk through. We're going to find the meat. We're going to find the nuggets. We're going to learn some things. But you also have to see it as an intricate story that he plays out. Not only that he plays out, but that he plans out because he is man, but he is also God. And that he intentionally causes, all right? There is a causality to the things that he is doing. It was no, no uh, accident that he pulled out the scroll in Isaiah and read the passage that he did, all right? It was no accident that he preached from a very specific boat owned by a very specific man named Simon who would be called Peter, who would be called Cephas, who would be the rock on which the church was built, who would deliver the powerful message at the day of Pentecost. Everything weaves in and out a story of what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do for his people. And today is no different. We're going to look at two stories. We're going to talk about what they mean. We're going to see what connects these two healing miracles. But we're also going to peer into what Jesus is doing. And he's being a little sneaky. He's being a little... Um, uh, antagonistic, if you will, because that's what we find today. We have met the protagonist in our story, but we are going to see a glimpse of the antagonizers, and Jesus, in his own very special way, antagonizes them today. Here we go, Luke 5, starting in verse 12. I will read all the way through and try not to stop and preach, and then I will go back and we will teach. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his face and on the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show, <laughs> go and show yourself to the priest. You guys will get why I'm laughing, but not for about 17 minutes, all right? And offer your sacrifices to Moses for your cleansing as a testimony to them, all right? So go to the priests, all right? Ask them to do the cleansing, all right, as a testimony to them. Very important what's going on. Yet the news about him spread all the more. If he be lifted up, he will draw him in. So the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, meaning he was by himself and prayed. Now one day Jesus was teaching, and some Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, very important, from Judea and Jerusalem, important. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house 
and lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do so because of the size of the crowd, the amount of people who were standing outside this home. And you may remember this story from Mark chapter 2, one of my favorites. This is where Luke is coming right from Mark, all right? Two-thirds of Luke and Matthew are Mark, just retold, rewritten, or verbatim. This is one of those places. They lowered him on the mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, from the roof, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, one of the more confusing verses in all of Scripture, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith, your sins, we need to look at that, but not now. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, this fellow speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In Mark, they use the word muttering. They muttered. Do you know any mutterers? Have you ever muttered? Muttering kills churches, just saying. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Love this. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? He didn't, didn't, didn't just know what was in their minds. He knew what was in their hearts, which is easier. And then he asked a strange question. He wants to, to get them. They're thinking, and they're blaspheming, and he goes, oh, yeah? He catches their hand in the cookie jar, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But, and I love this one, that you may know is how it is in Mark, but in Luke it is, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He didn't just say, get up, go home. He told him to take his mat. And that's important because you're not supposed to carry your mat on a very specific day, and it happened to be on that day. So he throws the mat in there because he's being a little bit of an antagonizer. Immediately he stood in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things. And in Mark, he goes on to tell us that the Pharisees continued to mutter, who can forgive sins? And anyway, if he did forgive sins and could make him walk, why would he have him pick up his mat on the Sabbath? Because that is not the way we do things around here. I have no idea why the Pharisees were British, but okay around here. Probably because I see them as proper, and here in a minute they're going to get all proper, and, but I'll show you, and they'll probably have a British accent then too. First thing we want to look at, leprosy. Leprosy, the cancer of the Bible, all right? took your body over, destroyed it, not just on the inside, but on the outside, melted away um, your skin, limbs would completely fall off, no cure for it, ostracized from the community, ostracized from the church, ostracized, sent away from the people. It is also a very symbolic reference in scriptures to sin. Sin is destructive. Sin is deadly. Sin separates us from God. Leprosy is very symbolic of the internal struggle that we also have with the disease of sin. And that disease is deadly. And there's only one cure. 
And so this man, ostracized, comes up to Jesus, which is just extraordinary and out of the ordinary. And his sentence is something we need to take note of. Lord, he knew who he was talking to, whether he'd met him or not. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This has nothing to do with ability and everything to do with willingness. There is a, excuse me, there is a level of maturity that you reach as a believer when you understand that it is not about whether or not God can, but about whether or not God will. You have really reached a place in your faith when you understand that God can, but will he? You have reached the next level when you are the same whether he does or does not. Do you understand? Level one, it is not about whether God can. He can. But it is about whether he will. Thy will be done. The next level of maturity, if you had joy prior to his willingness and joy without his willingness, your understanding of who he is and his greatness and his righteousness says everything about who you are. That would be level two. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Incredibly important. You know why? Because you didn't touch a leper. They were unclean socially. They were unclean religiously. They were unclean spiritually. And you were going to get it if you touched them. They had to be wrapped up when they traveled so pieces of skin, pieces of body wouldn't fall off and infect the community. They had to be completely wrapped up. It was incredibly contagious and before Jesus says a word he says everything he needs to say in front of everyone he puts his hand on this guy without hesitation and without fear and then he smiles and says I am willing be clean and immediately the leprosy left him. There was no uh, shake and bake. There was no spit and rub. There was no roll around. There was no dunk yourself seven times in the dirty river. There was none of that. Jesus said, be gone. And the disease left. Gone. He's well then. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anybody kind of odd. People are watching. People know, but don't tell anybody. Why he told him, I don't know. But what you do not realize is what he told him to do is just like telling. Here we go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing, comma, as a testimony. Steve, this one might even get you. Is there anybody in this room who can tell me what the Old Testament Moses supplied ritual is for cleansing or celebrating the cleansing, because Jesus already cleaned him, but now they got to go through the regulations, which is what this is all about anyway. Is it religion or is it a relationship? And Jesus is really antagonizing here. So he sends this leper to the temple and says, have him do the ritual. Anybody know what it was? Anybody? You'd be smarter than me. I didn't. You do. Uh, you were in the nine. <laughs> Get this. And this isn't verbatim. This isn't verbatim. I just want to give you an idea because the idea is not what they had to go through, but the 
audacity of how much? You ready for this? You had to show yourself to the priest. And on that day at that moment, the priest would have to know what to do. Now, not many lepers got clean, right? So if you hadn't been around for years and years and years, or if you'd never done this, you're going to have to call your mentor or call the pastor down the street or go to Jerusalem and find out how to do this because you might have it memorized, but you don't know the process. So this would have to be learned. So whoever he goes to is going to have to actually find out how to do what he's supposed to do to get it done right. The first thing you have to do is find a pair of scissors. They have to be cleansed, and then you have to cut every single hair off the head of the leprous person. After you get all the hair off, there are two birds that are killed, and blood is put in certain places, and blood is put in other places, and the clothes are torn off, and blood is sprinkled on them, and then you, you put new clothes on, and you carry the clothes to the nearest river, and you wash the clothes, and you wash yourself. After that, there is a seven-day waiting period, and that will get you to day eight, where you can then return to the temple, and you have to have three lambs, one female lamb, two male lambs. And there is a two to three day process of slaughtering those lambs, rubbing, um, uh, getting cups of blood to pour on the other lambs and getting hands of blood from a two different priests to rub on your head. And then once you get through all that, the people are brought in, the people are sent out, he is sent out, and then they say, thou art clean. And that's when you're ritually and religiously clean. You know what Jesus did? He walked away laughing. It's like asking somebody to do something super tedious and that they'd never have to do and putting them through the ringer. He did. And, and in doing so, you've got all of the people who are now seeing this happen because over the course of eight or nine days, people are going to wonder what's going on and why the birds and why the lambs and why are we gathered and everybody's going to find out. And the priests are like, for real though? You know what Jesus is doing? Y'all have fun. I, I'm, I'm going to be praying. This is great. This is great. And Jesus is slowly introducing us to what will be the battle for the rest of his ministry and what will be the battle for the rest of Christianity. And that is this. Is it religion or is it a relationship? Is it rules or is it righteousness? And in this story and the next, he introduces us to the priests, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, who would be what? The ones who over and over again for the rest of this book are going to try to snag him, going to try to snare him. What is it in John? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This is with the woman who was not stoned. But Jesus goes away to pray because he's now introduced himself in the super special way to the priests. Now he's going to introduce himself to the teachers of the law. One day Jesus was teaching. That's important. It's not important because Jesus was teaching and then that's different. But you need to know that in the situation in the house that they were in, Jesus was actually the one with the authority to teach, right? Now you have to think back to a sermon and a, and, a, and a piece of information that I gave you approximately four weeks ago. You need to look at what's going on here, and you need to listen to this verse. If you read this passage in Mark, uh, you know, it, 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 it gives it a little more detail, all right? But here, you need to notice what's important, because I've always taught in Mark about the size of the crowd and that people would always come and press around him, and everybody wanted him to pick him up and touch him and play with the kids and heal them and all that, but that's not actually what was going on here. Look, Pharisees 
and teachers of the law had come from every village, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. Here's what happened. During that ritual cleansing time, word started to get out. And everybody is either ticked off or curious. And so they all come together with their noses in the air. How do I know their noses were in the air? Well, first giveaway is the murmuring that's going on. But the second giveaway, I didn't know till I taught four weeks ago, and then I read this today. Look at what the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were doing. What does it say? Pharisees and teachers of the law were... Anybody catch what's going on? All right, let me back up for you. When Jesus read the scroll out of Isaiah at his first sermon, I pointed out what he did next. What did he do next? He sat down. Why? Because in Jewish culture, who sits? The teacher. That's why, remember when we went on the tangent about the chair? That's why the chair is important, and that's why you have the chair of the committee, the high teacher. That's why you have the chairman of the board, the chairwoman of the board. That's where that comes from. The authority came from the one is seated. Look what the Pharisees and teachers did when they came to listen to him. They all walked in with their chairs in their hand, and they sat them down, and they sat down in them, crossed their arms, and went, teach us. But that's not humility. That is arrogance. Look. They came from Jerusalem, Galilee, Judea, and they sat there. And they took up space for the people who really wanted to be near him. So the people are standing around all of these seated teachers. And they know what the teachers are doing because this guy is the one that's teaching. But they are seated, not out of reverence, but out of arrogance before him. And people are now coming to see how the teachers are going to handle it and how Jesus is going to handle it. And what you have is the bell being rung for round one of the match. And Jesus doesn't let it bother him. He just goes on teaching and teaching and teaching because in the back of his mind, he knows what's going to happen, but the Pharisees have no idea. About that time, somebody pulls the lever on a chainsaw. Not really, but go with me here. Above these guys' heads, so you hear this, and everybody's like, what in the world? And then it goes, and comes down through the roof, all right? down through the roof, and then this blade comes down through and starts sawing across, and Jesus is grinning, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law are ticked. Why? Thatch, tile, dirt, all over them. They're like, what is this, you know? Who, how dare you? Oh, we're seated. Oh, who? And Jesus is like, <laughs> And the scene gets even better because they cut the thing. They cut a hole. What's going to happen to the part that they cut? It falls. So everybody's like, whoa. Hits the ground, you know, shatters. Jesus still grinning because he was just out of the way anyway. He never had to move. And what's even funnier is this, this bed starts to come down through this hole. Now you have to imagine this. What is holding up the bed is these four pieces of clothing, like a sheet, a toga. I know I'm spitting. And togas are holding this up. So the guys up top who are lowering him down, you know what they've done? They've undressed. So all of these really hoity-toity people who are having, yes, who are having church, there's this bed coming down, and then when the bed gets out of your line of sight, you're staring up at four half-naked dudes. Hey! That's funny right there. Jesus is like, <laughs> the Pharisees are like, this is improper. 
that's awesome. And Jesus just grins. And he says the oddest thing. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's a hard theological issue to, to, to work through. All right, Bev, don't hold this one for me. This one's hard. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to try to work this out here. Bev's always the one that's got me on my toes so I don't say something right or wrong. And, and she asks the question so that I can, oh, okay, well, this to this to this. It's very helpful in times like this because you know, when you know it's coming, you prepare and you tell everybody. All right, so here it is. If you asked me if Steve Hoover could be saved because I had faith in Jesus, I would have to answer no. Because if we could do that, then I could just have faith enough and I could be sure that, that, that Andy is saved. Or I could be sure that, that Harry is saved. Or I could be sure that Danielle is saved. I, because of my faith, I can make sure that one of you enters. That doesn't work that way. But here's what Jesus said. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. In order to understand it, we need the question, the odd question. When you have an odd problem, look for the odd question. There's an odd question that comes later. And it is this. After the guys are muttering, more worried about their situation than their spirituality, more worried about religiosity than a relationship, more worried about rules, all right, than righteousness, they're arguing about what he can and cannot do. And Jesus hears them, let me just say this, you've uh, heard the, the song uh, about Santa Claus, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's fake, but Jesus knows what you are thinking, whether you're asleep or you're awake. He knows if your mind or your heart or anything about you has been bad or good, and that ain't fiction, that's fact. So just beware. Don't think it unless you want him to know it. Let's just be clear. Remember when they're talking about lust and lust is a sin too because it manifests and multiplies? Well, that's thinking it. Come on, he knows what you're thinking. So that's why we guard our hearts and our minds. Yes, see, the Bible's always right. But we have to look at this. Which is easier? Son, your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk. In order for us to process this, you have to process all of the things about Jesus. Jesus is not just a man, he is also God. So he is mortal in that he has skin on. There is a box around him that confines him, but he is also God. So he is 100% divine without any boundaries. So when God is yesterday, today, and forever, he is also yesterday, today, and forever. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is also omnipresent, omniscient, um, you know, all of those things. Hear me. When he asks this question, he also gives us an answer as to how what he said was possible. All right? Your sins are forgiven. Four words spoken. Get up and walk. Four words spoken. So in that way, they're exactly the same. And when Jesus speaks, whatever he speaks occurs. We've, we've seen it. That's what happens, okay? But 
We know from the rest of Scripture that when Jesus speaks and somebody gets up and walks, there's only one time where he spoke something to happen that it didn't happen, and that's the man who actually saw, um, he, he, he healed the blind man, and the blind man said, I see people, but they look like trees. And then he touches him again, and I've preached on this before. Why did it take Jesus two times? And that is about a lack of faith. Sometimes we have partial faith. Sometimes we have full faith. Sometimes we have our hand over the cup with our fingers spread out so that we can receive. But it's not about what God can give. It's about our ability to receive it. So a full faith leads to a full cup. You understand? Different story. But every other time Jesus speaks it and it's over. When he says, be gone leprosy, leprosy's gone. When he says, be gone paralyzation, paralyzation is gone. When he says, son, your sins are forgiven, if you look at the rest of Scripture, something else is needed. You see, one of these two things can be done in a house with friends. The other of these two things had to be done on a hill with thieves. One of them could be done with the snap of a finger. The other took the blood of the lamb. One could be done in a moment, in an instant. The other took a life. You see, Isaiah says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So here's what actually happened. Not only did Jesus display his authority to the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders that day, but he pinned himself to the cross almost 20 chapters before it was going to happen. Why? Because of their faith, I am going to follow through, and my follow-through will bring you life. There's your answer. Strong. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Jesus, what he said that day in front of all of those people, and this is what really bothered them, I'll die for you. And I want you to listen. The reason he threw it all out there that day was that for years it was all talk. For years it was all rules. For years it was kill this bird, splash that blood, Take this lamb, buy this dove, do this thing, follow this list, and everything will be okay. And it is no longer that way. My religion is not about do. My religion is about done. It is finished. And that is the difference. But you need to hear that it was the faith of these four guys who, instead of talking about Jesus, went to get their brother. Instead of stopping when it got tough, went all in. Instead of when there was no entrance, make a hole in the roof. Instead of what everybody else thought, taking off their clothes. It didn't matter how embarrassed. It didn't matter how tired. It didn't matter how poor. It didn't matter how ugly. It didn't matter. They were going to get their friend to Jesus, and that's all Jesus has been waiting for. People who are all in to bring other people to Jesus. Let down your nets. I told you it all runs together. in one beautiful story. Craig, how do we get there? You do what Jesus did. If your pick-me-up for the week is the 25 minutes I open my mouth, you're doing it wrong. And you ain't gonna get to heaven or in a relationship on my studies, or in my shoes. You better withdraw. You better get with Jesus. 
You better reach out and take his hand and let him take yours. And you better talk. And you better listen. And you'll be level one, level two, level beyond your imagination. And he will give you more than you could ever ask for or imagine. Let's pray. God, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't. I don't and I, you know what, God? I don't, I don't ever want to know why. Your scripture comes so alive in my spirit and in my heart. And the gift that you give me in, 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 in the Bevs and in the Johnny Rays and in the Nicoles and in the Jamies, the gift that you give me as we, we preach and we teach and we grow and we learn together in conversations on Saturday mornings or Wednesday nights or Tuesday afternoons or Friday mornings. God, the, the richness that it fills my soul with that, that you provide, I'll never know why. Your word comes so alive to us here on this corner at Main and Chestnut. But I know that it does. And I know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. So teach us to pray. Teach us to love. Teach us to go. And let it all hang out, so to speak, for your kingdom and for your glory, and to bring others into your presence. Change our hearts, God. Change, renew our minds. Help us think and act differently. And we know that if we do, if we're different, if we're joyful in a world that lacks joy, if we're hopeful in a world that has no hope, if we're peaceful in a world that knows no peace, if we're kind in a world that is mean, and if we're truth in a world full of lies, people will want what we have. And then we can simply say, we have Jesus. And if he be lifted up, he will draw everyone to himself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.